the reason why we don't want to fight with God because we just don't measure up and uh, there's no way we're going to win that um, growing up uh, with a brother like I did I did my fair share of wrestling or we would call it wrestling and I uh, did my fair share of wrestling and having a brother that's seven years older than me I did my fair share of losing and he and his buddies would come and they would practice all the moves on me and so I'd get body slammed, I'd get put in the sleeper hold, I'd get suplexed, and even the dreaded pile driver. You know, I've been through it all. And uh, so this, the passage today reminds me in some ways of my childhood. I may encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 32 today, verses 22 through 32. Uh, our sermon title is Let's Get Ready to Rumble. And what we've got before us today is one of the most peculiar passages in all the Bible. And there's a lot of questions that we have when we come to this text. And we see today that Jacob wrestles. He wrestles with a mysterious attacker. And we wonder what in the world is going on and what in the world does that have to do with me? The answer is this. When you feel like God is fighting you, quit struggling and cling tightly to his faithful word. In times in life, it does feel like God is fighting us. And when that happens, the best solution for you and I is to quit struggling and just cling tightly to the truth of his word. Let me invite you to stand with me as we read from God's holy word together. Genesis chapter 32, I'll be starting at verse 22. These words were written by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of the thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen the face of God, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all that has transpired already here today, for the wonderful time of fellowship, uh, for the powerful music that has been sung, uh, Father, for the prayers that have been offered to you in faith. And now, God, we've come to your holy word, and we pray, Lord, that you would enlighten us to this passage as we read this, and so many things about this stand out to us, and and Father, we're looking for answers and explanations, but above all, God, we, we have that conviction this is your word. It was written for our benefit. It was written to communicate your truth to us. 
So God, please speak through your word today. Help us to understand and help us to apply the message you intend for us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been following the life of the patriarch Jacob over the last several weeks. We see he is now returning to the promised land. But before he does so, he is going to face once again his estranged brother. He's going to face Esau, his twin, whom he had defrauded, whom he had cheated, who had, who had, he, he had left earlier in life under the threat of murder. And now he is coming, preparing himself for that encounter so he does what anyone should do in a situation like that. He turns to God. We saw last week Jacob pouring out his soul to the Lord. We see him crying out to God. He is finally not only returning physically where he needs to be, he is returning spiritually. He is getting back on track in his walk with God. And then we see this passage of Scripture today. The first thing that stands out is Jacob is alone with God. He's alone with God. What are his intentions in doing this? Some have said, well, he's worried about being attacked by his brother. He's sending everyone ahead of him, and he is staying back. Is he being a coward? Some say perhaps he is desiring time alone with God for prayer. And I think after what we saw last week in the direction that Jacob's going in, I believe it's, it's the latter. I believe he's desiring to be alone with God. We see, first of all, his people are gone. Verse 22 and 23 says he sends his two wives, his two maids, his 11 children, not counting his one daughter. Also, he sent them across the stream. So let's do the math here. Two wives plus two maids plus 11 sons equals zero peace. If he wants to be alone with God, he has got to get rid of all the commotion that stands in his way. His people are gone. His possessions are gone. Verse 23, it says that he sent over whatever he had. Remember, he had all kinds of flocks, sheep and goats and camels and whatnot. And again, he needed to remove all the distractions, all the hindrances, all the the trappings of of work he needed to be alone with God what an important lesson that is for us today that we would unplug turn off the cell phone get away from the computer get away from the, the noise and, and the hustle and bustle of life and spend time alone with the Lord now picture for yourself a, a peaceful, quiet time with Jesus. What would that look like for you? The ideal quiet time. Of course, you've got your Bible in hand. Maybe you're sitting out on the front porch or the back porch if the weather's permitting. Sometimes have a devotional book with you like the open windows or whatever that you may have also. You've got your pen, your highlighter. You're ready to take notes. Got uh, some soft music playing. Uh, maybe the sounds of one Jennifer Webb is there uh, to, to help you focus and get your mind on God. If you're like me, you've got a cup of coffee, you know, within arm's reach, your Starbucks or whatever the case may be. Then Hulk Hogan busts in and puts you in a headlock. 
And then uh, maybe you got some comfy slippers on or, or your robe on. You're like, wait a minute, now time out, time out. Did you say Hulk Hogan busts in and puts you in a headlock? Yep. What kind of quiet time is that? That's the kind of quiet time that Jacob had in this text today. He's desiring to be alone with God. He is hoping to have peace and quiet. He's hoping to focus on the Lord and receive some sort of direction, some sort of help to get him through this obstacle that he is about to face with his brother Esau. And lo and behold, this man runs up and begins to wrestle him. And that's what happens in verses 24 through 29. Jacob is assaulted by God. There is no way in his mind he could have prepared for what was about to happen next. That was probably the furthest thing from his expectation. In this time alone with God, that I was going to have to physically fight for my survival. But that's what takes place. See in verse 24, first of all, Jacob's individuality. It says in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. He was all by himself. There was nobody else in the camp. All of his family had gone. All of his servants had gone. All the animals had gone. It was just Jacob all alone with God. And no matter what you do for a living, no matter how many friends or family members you have, at the end of the day, it's all about you and God. It's all about your connection with the Lord. Because you have one in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Whether or not you know him as your Lord and Savior, or whether you know him as your righteous judge, whom you one day will stand before and give an account to, you have some sort of individual connection with God. So there's Jacob. He's left all alone with God. In verse 24 and 25, we see Jacob's injury. His injury. As I said at the outset, this is one of the most bizarre passages in all of Scripture. For nothing else, by the way, it's just presented. It's just kind of matter of fact. Jacob was left alone with God, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. It's just kind of like, well, there it is. And, and we've got more questions than we've got answers. First of all, who is this man? Jacob's left all alone. Who is this man? There's been all, all kinds of explanations. Maybe it was Esau, or, or, or maybe it was one of Laban's sons, or whatever. But who is this man? And then secondly, what's his beef with Jacob? Why is he wrestling him? And, and then lo and behold, it says, until daybreak. So all night long, this man is grappling on Jacob. What in the world is going on? Who is this mystery attacker? And what's he doing here? But notice the text goes on to say in verse 25, when he saw he had not prevailed against Jacob. So this was a, a long, drawn-out struggle. No one was seeming to gain the upper hand. And then lo and behold, this mystery man simply touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and it was dislocated. It gives us the sense that this mystery attacker maybe was just holding back a little bit. Maybe he had a little more in the tank than Jacob understood, that a mere touch of his hip would dislocate the whole thing. Something powerful, someone powerful is wrestling with Jacob. 
And Jacob is given this injury. But then we see in verse 26, Jacob's intensity. Even though his, his whole hip was thrown out of joint, and, and it's hard to wrestle with a hip out of joint. It's hard to do anything with a hip out of joint, much less fight for your life. In verse 26, Jacob says to him, I, uh, uh, the man says to Jacob, let me go for the dawn is breaking. Which is another question. Why is this guy wanting to get out of there before the sun comes up? Is this a vampire or something? What, what's going on here? Let me go for the sun's about to come up. And notice Jacob's response. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob is beginning to understand this guy I'm fighting with is someone superior to me. Because in the Bible, no one blesses someone unless they are a superior. And Jacob says, I recognize that, that you alone can bless me. I cannot bless you. You are my superior in this. Because you merely touched my hip and it fell out of socket. And for all intents and purposes, you have defeated me. But I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to go, I'm going to hold on to you and I'm going to grab you and I'm going to squeeze you and I don't care if the sun's coming up or not. I don't care how long we have done this. I'm not about to quit. I ain't giving up. I want you to bless me. You and you alone can bless me. And I'm not going to let you go. He was holding on for dear life. He had no other option. I fought with this man he has is, he is, he is lamed me. I've got no other recourse. I'm going to get something out of this fight, and it's going to be a blessing. He was intense in his desire to be blessed. We see in verses 27 and 28, Jacob's identity. The man asks him, what is your name? We get the sense that this man already knew Jacob's name. And we believe that Jacob knew this man knew his name. Because Jacob, I think, is starting to get a sense and understanding exactly who this is he's fighting with. The man asked him, what's your name? And, and Jacob says, it's Jacob. We've already said before, the name Jacob means deceiver. One who grabs the hill, one who trips. The supplanter, one who, who pulls one back so that he can go ahead of him. And I believe the man is asking Jacob his name, and I believe Jacob in answering his name, I believe it's a bit of a confession on his part. What's your name? And I believe Jacob is acknowledging to him, I am a deceiver. I am one who has tripped up. I am one who has supplanted. One who has acted not with righteousness, but with selfishness. I believe Jacob is confessing here. Notice verse 28. He said to him, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. We've seen this already in Scripture, haven't we? With, with, with his grandfather Abraham, whose name was Abram, exalted father, name changed by God to Abraham. It's a sign of this new covenant, father of many nations. So it keeps, it keeps adding up for us here. Jacob says, this guy, simple touch, put my hip out of socket, 
This guy is my superior. I want him to bless me. This guy is changing my name because of this covenant he has with me. He says to him, Your name shall no longer be the deceiver, but Israel. Israel means God fights, which is another clue for us in this story who Jacob's wrestling with. God fights. He says, For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob has striven with men. We've, we've seen that his entire life. That's his testimony, is it not? We've seen him swindle the birthright from his, his brother. We've seen him outwit his father and his uncle. We've seen him strive with men and prevail. We've seen him strive with God too, haven't we, along the way? 20 years separated from the promised land, 20 years separated from this God of the covenant. But now he's coming back again. You have striven with God and with men. Of course, we've seen that. But the amazing thing here, he says, you've struggled with God and with men and you have prevailed. Of course, he's prevailed against Esau and Isaac and Laban. How has he prevailed against God? He struggled with this man until daybreak, and the man threw his hip out of socket. How's that prevailing? It's like, you think I look bad, you should have seen the other guy. <laughs> but that's not the case. Clearly, in this wrestling match, this man has prevailed, although Jacob refuses to let go. I'm, I'm not going to fight you, I can't fight you no more, but all I can do is just grapple you and not let go. And the man says, because you have done that, you have prevailed. It's interesting. His victory and how it was achieved. And from this point forward, he says, you're no longer be called Jacob, but you're going to be called Israel. But then in the very next verse, verse 29, it says, then Jacob asked him. And so from this point forward in Scripture, it kind of goes back and forth. Sometimes he's called Jacob. Sometimes he's called Israel. It's not like Abraham, whose name was permanently changed. It's a back and forth. Why is that? Because I think it speaks to the two natures that a sinner has. When a sinner is saved by the grace of God, we receive a new nature. We receive a new name. But that old nature is still there. We're still battling with the old self. Jacob, sometimes he does what he should be doing in the eyes of God, and he's Israel. Sometimes he backtracks and he falls and he gives in to his fleshly temptation, and he's Jacob again. It's back and it's forth. Paul spoke about the reality of this dual nature, about this struggle in Romans chapter 7. When Paul himself said, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing that. What a wretched man that I am with these two natures. Who will save me? That's when he said, thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through him that we have the victory in this, this war that we have within ourselves. The desire as a Christian to do right but the struggle of the old self and the old way, the old nature, the old man. We've got to keep fighting and suppressing those desires and by the Spirit crucifying the flesh. It's a daily battle. Jacob's identity speaks to the reality of that struggle for him and for us. 
Jacob's inquiry in verse 29. Jacob turns the tables on him and says, Okay, let me ask you, please tell me your name. I want to know who you are. And the man said, Why do you ask my name? Like, son, you already know who I am. I know who you are, and you know who I am. Jacob's inquiry about the one he was fighting when he all along had this sense that he was fighting God, that this was God. And for us, this is one of the most bizarre things we see in Scripture. How can a person physically fight with God when God is spirit? How can, how can a man fight with, with God if God is not man? And why does this passage say it's a man that he's fighting with? Tonight at 6, we're going to do our Bible study, and we're going to look at some scriptures dealing with an individual called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Who is the angel of the Lord? And I think that's exactly who Jacob is wrestling with here. A lot of interesting theories that are out there, and I will tell you tonight what I believe the answer to this question is, exactly who this man is wrestling with. But clearly the scripture identifies he is wrestling with God. Then we see in verse 29, Jacob's intimacy. The man, it says, he blessed him there. The man that he wrestled with all night, that he struggled with all night, the man who asked him, what is your name? The man who changed his name. The man who, who gave him that limp. That man blessed him there. The, the, the interpersonal relationship was there. From that point forward, God was now more real to Jacob than ever before. Because you see, the blessing had come to him through rather unscrupulous means in his life. He had, again, outwitted his brother. He had lied and deceived his father. And he had received the blessing through secondhand means to that point. But now he is telling God, God, bless me and now the blessings of the covenant are conveyed to him by God himself Jacob has that personal relationship with God in which the blessings of God flow to him directly from the Lord God Almighty Jacob has an intimate relationship with him but one of the craziest things about this entire passage of Scripture for me is this. Typically, we think about fighting God is when we're outside the will of God, right? That God has told us to do something, and we, like Jonah, have ran the other way, and we end up fighting against God, and then God pins us, and we lose. Typically, we think about fighting God when we're outside the will of God. But, but, but think about Jacob's life. What was the context here? What was going on? He was outside the promised land for 20 years, no mention of any kind of relationship with the Lord at all. But now we find Jacob, he's finally obeying God, going back to the promised land. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's crying out to God in prayer. He's wanting to be alone with God to, to, to find wisdom and strength before this great battle that he faces. It looks like from all sides, he is in the will of God, and now God fights him. What in the world? God, what are you doing? God, are you mad at me? 
God, have I, have I messed? Are you punishing me? God, why are you allowing me to be crippled? Aren't I in your will? Shouldn't everything go according to my plan when I'm inside your will? Shouldn't it all be hunky-dory, God? When I'm obeying you? Shouldn't I be wealthy? Shouldn't I have perfect, a, a clean bill of health? Shouldn't my children walk with you closely? Shouldn't everything go right, God, when I follow you obediently? And here's Jacob. Finally, finally in the will of God. And God puts him in a chokehold. What in the world is that all about? Maybe you've thought the same thing in your life before. Maybe some of what I just spoke about a while ago, maybe you're saying, yeah, I identify with that. You know, I love the Lord my God. I, I spend time alone with Him every day. I, I, I read the Word. I pray. I fellowship in church. I, I, I give to the offerings, and, and I tell other people the good news of Jesus. And, and for whatever reason, this bad stuff is happening to me. God, Why? Jacob was learning a lesson here that every single one of us needs to, le to learn also. It's called sanctification. It's, it's called God wrestling us to bring about something greater in our lives that could not be achieved without the wrestling match. God wanted to, to increase and grow Jacob's faith beyond anything it had ever been before, but it took that royal rumble to make that happen. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because God has better intentions than anything we can ever perceive. From Jacob's point of view, this was a bad episode, humanly speaking. But God was up to something in Jacob's life that would not have been achieved apart from this. God brought the pain to him, literally, to bring about a spiritual growth in his life. The battle is real. Back in 1984, I remember as a child watching this interview take place on 2020. John Stossel, he's still on there today, was, was doing an investigative report about the world of professional wrestling. And part of his investigation led him to interview this fellow by the name of Dr. D, David Schultz. He was billed as standing 6'6", six six, 270 pounds. And Stossel's interviewing him, and it's, it's clear that Schultz becomes a little bit belligerent in, in, the, in, the, in the level of questioning. And then Stossel says, I'm just going to get straight to the point. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I think. And, and Dr. D says, what do you think? And he says, I think it's fake. And at that point, Schultz takes his left hand and just slaps him up across the head, knocks him to the floor. And he's dazed for a minute, Stossel is, and and finally he gathers himself, stands back up again, and then comes the right hand upside the right side of his face, knocks him down once again. And wisely he stays down this time until Schultz walks away. He says, I think it's fake. And he said as he hit him, do you think this is fake? you think this is real? In our walk with God, the battle is real. And if you ever doubt for once the battle is not real, then... Sometimes God has to slap us upside the face 
And sometimes the smackdown comes because we have sinned against God and we deserve it. But other times the smackdown comes because God is preparing us for something. He is teaching us a lesson. As God assaulted Jacob, sometimes God assaults us and we need to know how to deal with that. See, Jacob, thirdly, is affected by God more ways than one. You cannot have an interaction with God and not walk away affected, unaffected. You will be affected. You will be changed. Jacob, first of all, thinks about the loving mercy of God. He calls the place Peniel, which means the face of God. He says in verse 30, I have seen God face to face yet my life has been preserved. He, he, he finally puts the pieces together and what he thinks he knows is the truth finally comes to grips with, I have just fought with God. I've seen God face to face and yet, he says, my life has been preserved. How in the world am I still here? How can a man fight with God and not be destroyed? How come he didn't wipe the canvas with me the only explanation is God's loving mercy God's grace somehow someway my life has been preserved passive tense Jacob did not preserve himself God preserved him a sinner entered into a personal encounter with God and was not destroyed solely by the grace of God it's the way it works for you and I we enter into the presence of God as a sinner the only way our life is spared is by the grace of God, His loving mercy. Jacob began to understand even more this merciful God. He should not have survived, but yet he was still there. We see in verse 31 the limping movement. It says, Now the sun rose upon him. He was now walking in the light in more way than one physically in the daylight but spiritually he was now a little more aware of God and he was leaving with a physical reminder because it said he was limping on his thigh from that point forward everywhere he walked every step he took was a painful reminder of his struggle with God his wrestling match with God and he was reminded over and over again that by God's grace he was spared, but, my, but now by God's grace I am a different man. And his physical impairment was a reminder to him that he prevailed. You strove with God and with men, you have prevailed. How did he prevail? He's walking away with a limp. The other guy's walking away without a scratch. He prevailed because he recognized he was inferior to this one he wrestled and he quit fighting and all he did was hang on for dear life and cry out for the blessing. He understood this one was greater than him and he was not going to let go. He wanted to be blessed. He humbled himself and then he clung tightly and said, even though you're trying to beat me up, I am going to hold on to you for dear life. At that point, he could easily let go and say, I quit, I give up, I tap out, you've bested me. No, he said, I've been beat, and I understand that, and all I'm going to do now is hang on. You're not going to leave here without me or without that blessing bestowed upon me. 
It was a physical reminder of the spiritual change. And what he learned that day was that sometimes God makes us weak so that we become strong. Paul understood that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, I had a thorn in my flesh. I prayed three times for God to remove it. Whatever that was, God's answer was no. My grace is sufficient for you because in your weakness, you are made strong. In those moments where God humbles us, breaks us down, we realize how, how puny and how weak we truly are and we cry out to Him for help and deliverance. The moment that you depend upon God is the moment you grow stronger. Sometimes God brings a wrestling match to you for no other reason but to humble you and make you depend upon Him more because when that happens, your faith increases exponentially. You are stronger when you are weaker. Doesn't make sense. It's God's way of doing things because when you lean upon Him, that's where you find your strength. Sometimes God allows bad things to happen to you from your perspective. This is bad. I don't want this. I don't want to be put in the sleeper hold. I don't want to have my thigh knocked out of socket. But God, if it's going to bring about something better for me spiritually, nothing happens for no reason. Nothing is done in vanity. God has a plan and a purpose for all things because all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. All things work together for the good. Jacob did not consider that wrestling match good when it was happening. When his leg was knocked out of socket. That didn't feel good. Thank you, God, for laming me the rest of my life. But God was doing something in him making him weak so that he would be strong. Finally, we see the lasting memorial in verse 32. It talks about the sons of Israel to this day, the day that Moses wrote this, said they didn't eat that particular part of the hip whenever they were eating meats because of what God did to Jacob. It was a reminder that not only was Jacob impacted, but also the sons of Israel, that that covenant that God entered into with Jacob was also passed down to Jacob's children the sons of Israel. The New Testament says we are sons of Israel by faith. So that promise that was made to Jacob, that, that valuable covenant that was given to Jacob, that passes down to you and I by faith. We recognize who God is. And when the fight comes to us and you feel like God is fighting you, the answer is to stop struggling because if he needs to, he'll knock another hip out of joints. If that don't work, then he'll knock a shoulder out and then another shoulder. If he needs to, he'll do whatever he has to do to get you to the point where you are humbled enough to cry out to him for mercy, to cry out for him for strength and hope and deliverance. He will do whatever he has to do to get you to that point. Quit striving, quit struggling, and then do what Jacob did. Just hold on. Just go along for the ride. Just put a big bear hug around the promises of God and say, God, I'm not going to let go of your promise until you bless me, until you bring me into glory. God, until this fight is done, until this life is over, until I see the other side, God, I'm not going to let go. I'm going to cling tightly to your word because that's the only hope I have. When you feel like God is fighting you, that's what you do. 
You just hold on. Hold on tightly. Past couple of weeks, we've had to give Kylie eye drops because she had some issues going on with her eyes. and She was not a fan of the eye drops. <laughs> and, and, and if you're not used to putting stuff in your eyeballs, then, then you're probably not a fan of eye drops either. And as such, you know, sometimes she squirmed and struggled. Sometimes we had to hold her down and physically make that happen. And she didn't like that, but the truth of the matter was it was for her own good. Without the medicine, things could have gotten worse. Problems could have developed. And it was through the loving struggle of her parents that she was made well. And when God brings the fight to you, the best thing to remember is that victory comes through surrender. Humble yourself. Acknowledge God as the undisputed, undefeated champion of love. Acknowledge He is higher than the heavens. Humble yourself. Say, God, your will be done. But in the meantime, God, I'm not going to quit you. I'm going to grab a hold and I'm going to hold tightly. It's the only hope I have. You see, we wrestle in this life. Paul said in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the enemy. We wrestle against Satan. And that makes sense to us. We've got an enemy who hates us. He's fighting us. We, we fight him back. We wrestle against our own sinful nature. We talked about that. We, we suppress the, the desires of the flesh and, and we fight those inclinations every day. Those two natures, we, we fight. That makes sense to us. What does not make sense to us is, is, is fighting God. Especially if you're in the will of God. Why would God do that to me? God, why? Because you're like Jacob. God desires something even greater and higher for you. Sometimes it takes the wrestling match to bring that to pass. You see, Jesus strove with men and with God. Jesus was nailed to the cross by sinful men. Jesus was forsaken by the Father for our sin on the cross. Jesus strove with men and with God and Jesus prevailed. You see, we don't have to worry about fighting because God fights for us. Sometimes God fights for us by fighting with us. But never forget and never let go of the fact of the matter that God has fought for you and God has won the victory. Christ died for your sins. Christ rose again victorious. Christ at the right hand of God interceding for you. He fights for you. And if He has to fight you along the way in fighting for you, so be it. The best thing you and I should do to combat in this fight, we do that by clinging to the cross of Christ. That takes faith to believe in what the cross means for you, and it takes perseverance not to let go, not to give up. And even though it feels like you're getting beat up by God, he loves you. He desires what's best for you. And sometimes what's best for you is to bring about the pain so that a greater good would be accomplished. Cling to the cross of Christ. Faith and perseverance. Don't you ever give up. Don't quit. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you humbly this morning in Jesus' name. We acknowledge your greatness. You are the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. 
Lord, you, you cause the galaxies to spin and the planets to, to rotate. 